This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope this episode finds you well. Today we're airing an episode we recorded back in early March with Satish Kanwar, the current GM and VP of product at Shopify, right before things shut down in North America. And because things were developing so quickly, we never got a chance to release it. So here it is. Uh, A little more about our guest today. Satish oversees the development of e-commerce, retail, and multi-channel shopping for over 1 million merchants globally. He has led Shopify's strategic expansion from online stores to multi-channel commerce and has formed partnerships with many names you'll be familiar with, including Facebook, Google, Apple, and others. He previously co-founded a company called Jet Cooper, which was acquired by Shopify in order to establish its product development footprint in Toronto. He's an active angel investor and advisor to the city and previous organizer of TEDx Toronto. In 2016, he was named to Forbes' 30 Under 30, and the accolades just go on. So with that long intro out of the way, here is that great conversation I had with Satish Anwar. Your son is sporting a Jet Cooper onesie on your Instagram. <laughs> yes. um, I have some questions related to Jet Cooper, and we'll get to Shopify in a moment, but let me ask you about Jet. So this is a company that you founded prior to Shopify. It was subsequently acquired by Shopify, and we'll get to that story. But ha- what's the origin story with Jet, and what was the value proposition there? Yeah, great question. So um, you know, Jet Cooper was founded in 2009 uh, with myself and my, my co-founder, Vern Ho, uh, we went to the University of Toronto together and kind of came through the system at a time where working in technology meant you had to have been an engineer, uh, both to start a technology company or be a meaningful part of building technology, at least here in Canada. And so, you know, what we observed through that was one, a difficulty in entering that market as two, uh, you know, non technical founders. Um, but but also a lack of uh, awareness and value for what design uh, could contribute to the technology environment. And, uh, you know, both Bert and I were self-taught uh, designers and something we did uh, as a passion on the, on the side. Um, and we decided that this was the right opportunity for us to take something that we were uniquely good at and bring a lens that applied that to the tech environment where uh, the value wasn't yet obvious. And so, you know, Jet Cooper became uh, the product design and user experience firm for these kind of uh, emerging tech companies here in Canada. And uh, of course, as you know, the decade has played out, we've seen how critical design has become to building great technology. And obviously, you had a great outcome. But initially, were you thinking that this was part of your career plan when you came out of school? Oh, absolutely not. You know, I thought uh, it, it was fun and games that I was able to do some some graphic and, and print design on the side and, and, and make some freelance dollars from doing it. And uh, that all along the grand plan was, you know, get a job uh, in, a, in a large tech company and, and build up my, my career to, uh, to a senior point over the decade to come. And I went through every 
hoop that I could to actually do that. You know, I, I left behind the freelance work. I took a job uh, right out of school at Microsoft in Canada and, um, you know, uh, began building towards what I thought was a very solid uh, plan. But it, it took uh, just a short order of months to realize that, you know, it, at that time, these global tech companies were not actually building technology outside of headquarters and uh, that I wasn't going to be able to get anywhere close to what I wanted to learn uh, or achieve. Um, so, you know, getting uh, into a position where Jack Cooper became a reality was uh, really just saying, I feel like I'm not exercising my creative and, and intellectual muscle at the pace that I want to be. Here's a way of taking more direct control of doing that with someone that I love working with. And uh, if that had gone on, you know, for 10 years as just the two of us, uh, I would be very grateful and, and very happy. Uh, and it went on for, uh, you know, five and a half years to 25 of us, uh, which turned into thousands of us uh, here at Shopify. So I'm very grateful uh, for that path as well. So how did you attract Shopify? Like, how did they take a notice in what Jet was doing? You know, as I had shared before, we had really kind of presented ourselves in a niche where we were pairing with engineering-led startups uh, at an early stage and helping bring user experience, uh, design, and product management into uh, in, into their organizations. And so we were working with companies like, um, you know, for those that were around at that time, uh, Kick, MassDrop, Polar Mobile, Scribble Live, Uberflip, 500 Pixels, uh, uh, you know, a lot of great emerging companies that, that um, you know, we continue to grow with. And um, in 2013, uh, Shopify, through a, a mutual set of, of contacts in the Canadian tech environment, approached us about doing some work together in the same way that we would work with any one of these companies. And it was through that conversation uh, and connection in talking about all the ways that we as Jet Cooper could uh, impact Shopify's roadmap you know, post Series B and and their their design um, um, outcomes. Uh, that instead, the conversation moved quickly from partnering together to to kind of merging into what became an acquisition ten weeks later. Were you a hundred percent confident that that was the right time to sell? No, no, no. I think there's um, you know it's very easy now to kind of look back with rose-colored glasses in hindsight and say that we were 100% sure that Shopify would become what the Shopify, you know, uh, many of us know uh, and, and love today. At that time, you know, um, looking at just the um, kind of information available to anyone, Shopify was an Ottawa-based e-commerce company mm -hmm. post-Series B uh, with some tens of thousands of customers uh, looking at uh, at, at growing its Toronto operations and and growing from online stores to uh, payments and point of sale and, and many other things. Um, I'd say what uh, made that uh, a risk worth taking for us, though, was really the value system that was in place from Toby and the founding team and uh, the very quick trust relationship we were able to build with the way that they thought about the, their culture, about their opportunity, and about uh, their vision. And um, it was the first time in my career in speaking with someone else that they had a bigger vision for me than I had for myself. Could you describe any of that value system uh, or culture that was attractive to you? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, 
you know, the, the biggest part of that um, was really uh, betting on people. Like Shopify has an incredible ability to identify potential in individuals, um, kind of uh, uh, understand their ambition and get out of the way. And, you know, as a company that is uh, obsessed with creating entrepreneurship, something that people don't realize that Shopify does very well is create entrepreneurship inside of the company in an incredible way. And autonomy and distributed decision making and a sense of accountability and ownership is present with each person and each leader uh, in, in the culture. And that comes kind of top down uh, and bottom up that people, to, Toby and the executive team, um, enable it and people take that opportunity um, by both hands and, and create a lot of value and impact. So, you know, um, that really was, you know, such an incredible part of getting involved with still feeling the respect of an opportunity of a founder while being part of a larger, uh, the larger system that was Shopify. Is Shopify taking a bet on you being able to create companies or design companies or foster entrepreneurship within Shopify to the point where you'll be so content or fulfilled there won't be this threat of you actually leaving to start another company does that think, question make sense yeah I'm trying that, to think that, of how to frame that it makes but, sense i i okay. think you know everyone wants to work on meaningful problems and feel like they have the uh autonomy to do what's necessary to be successful at them and ultimately when you become a founder it's because you're trying to scratch an itch and you want to pursue that through every means possible and available to you. And I would say that from what I shared earlier, Shopify does an incredible job of creating the conditions and environment that replicate those exact emotions and, and opportunity. And so as a founder, uh, we've had you know, now tens of founders acquired and come uh, into Shopify and have had incredible retention of those founding teams, whether they were uh, uh, acquired in or hired in after a successful failed uh, transition from, uh, from, from independence and, um, you know, continue to just maintain that lifestyle and, and integrity. And so for me, approaching seven years at Shopify, you know, I have an incredible ability to continue to create new businesses and grow existing ones and, and largely feel the same that I did uh, uh, when I was independent, except now there's this wealth of resources available and also just incredible other people and founders that I would never have had the opportunity to sit beside and work with every day, much like, you know, uh, Farhan and, and Daniel that you, you uh, had on the, on the show earlier. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and you mentioned seven years, so, so it's a long time. I mean, at least in the context of Shopify's life cycle, it's, it's a long time. Um, you were initially director of operations and then moved over to the product side. And now you're taking on the reins of GM of channels. So what is your responsibility now in your current role? Ultimately, in my role today, uh, I own all... Uh, product development, uh, sales, partnerships, operations, um, uh, et cetera, that relates to uh, delivering Shopify's 
uh, and shopping experiences. So for us, channels is the way that uh, buyers interact with our merchants, uh, whether that's online, uh, in physical retail stores, in other marketplaces and mobile apps, um, and, and everywhere in between. And we have a you know, large uh, organization of engineers, designers, and, and other folks that, that build products every day towards achieving that. And I've had the opportunity to, to lead that now over the last five years. That's very cool. Um, how would this work in practice? Like, let's take a digital first brand selling apparel, let's say, and they've got a robust e-commerce presence and they've got a great D2C operation and they have this interest to now expand into multi-channel and, as you point out, reach their customers wherever they might be. So it, where does Shopify come into the fold here? So the great thing in this case for a DDC brand of that nature is Shopify gives them an opportunity to consolidate all of their back office operations into one place and then stay flexible to the right way to acquire and reach their customers as that market behavior changes. So that apparel brand would put all of its uh, inventory products and customer data into Shopify and they could turn on a, an online store, uh, turn on a point of sale system, connect uh, to Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, eBay, Amazon, or any any marketplace or or environment of that nature. And they don't need to keep reintegrating what they're trying to sell, uh, what inventory is available, how their business takes payments and, and processes orders in the background. Um, all of that is. Uh, invisible and automated because it's the same set. It's the same business that's just happening to operate in those different places. And that means that brand can turn on new channels of commerce kind of over breakfast instead of making this a huge business investment for them to test how to sell in another place. And the amazing thing for buyers is that they get a kind of unified experience no matter where they're going. So if you bought from a brand online or on Instagram or on eBay and you go into their physical retail store, that staff associate in the store knows all of the shopping activity you've done. They can facilitate a return and exchange across those things and really support you as this multi-channel customer instead of you know each side being blind to the other. That's very interesting. And yeah, so you mentioned payments, which historically had been a big challenge, right? For merchants having to set up payment processing on a different platform and having to navigate the payments ecosystem on their own. And you guys solved that a few years ago, I think, with this Stripe or Shopify payments, excuse me, powered by Stripe. And then you're now heading into the world of fulfillments, which is obviously a huge pillar for a lot of these D2C businesses. How are you helping in that regard? Both of these investments for us has really been about simplifying and automating things that individual small businesses would have an incredibly hard time standing up alone. But by doing so for the collective network, we can make it simple and easy for everyone. And so, uh, you know, at the time that we launched Shopify Payments, you know, the the stepping stone to getting into e-commerce was being able to accept money. And it was this incredibly difficult uh, kind of a bridge to cross when you were trying to start a business where what we want you to focus on is your products and your customers and your marketing and, and these kinds of creative things. Fulfillment has really become, you know, very much like that, that 
uh, now that we've kind of removed all those other barriers, uh, the hard part becomes actually moving these physical packages around uh, because you know once you get a few sales going, it's uh, a cumbersome process to manage this inventory and get it into the hands of people in a fast and efficient way. And obviously, in, in t- today's environment, people have an expectation of how quickly something gets to them at what cost. And it would be impossible for each individual business, uh, you know, in the bounds of what volume that they do to have the right infrastructure and uh, pricing and, and operational kind of uh, strength to, to do this. So the Shopify Fulfillment Network for us is just a way of, uh, again, taking the uh, kind of network strength of all of Shopify's um, million plus businesses and putting it together so that we can remove this barrier. And we want to help people move those packages from point A to point B in the fastest, most efficient, uh, mo- most cost effective way possible so that they can focus on customers, marketing, and and so on. These strategic partnerships that you have with companies like Facebook, Google, Apple, among others, Can you give us an idea of the nature of how you're working with each of these companies and how these partnerships have an impact on what you're doing? You know, the the interesting part about uh, e-commerce is that uh, over the the last five years, um, products have become as much an important piece of content as videos, maps, photos, audio, and other things. So our relationship with these companies has really been about helping transform the way that they present uh, products and e-commerce information to customers wherever they are in as native and useful of a way as these other uh, kind of assets have been. You know, when you come across a a video in Facebook or Google, your common expectation is you can uh, see all the metadata associated with it, start playing that video instantly uh, inside the environment you're in, and then take further action, like go back into that uh, original place where the video came from. And, you know, our relationships at the foundation of it have really been about taking, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of uh, products from Shopify merchants and making sure they show up natively. So when you're on Instagram, you can uh, see that product information right on the photo, uh, tap it to see more details and tap it to go back to Shopify. Or when you're on Google and you make a product search in Google Shopping, you're seeing that information natively in uh, the search results before you go back to the store. So this is just making life easier for uh, everyone who's shopping, uh, making business better for our merchants, and overall helping make products and e-commerce are more native part of the internet yeah and it's working really well i mean you mentioned you started and shopify was powering about ten thousand merchants and now you're what north of a million that's right we're we're north of a million as of last year given the company has carved out such a nice lane for itself are you guys paying attention to the competition in any way do you care about what these companies are doing you know toby has this uh, incredible story that he's He's shared once before, uh, which is when he first went to raise venture capital, he was told that the total addressable market of Shopify was 40,000 businesses, which is, is, is most certainly laughable given, um, you know, the, the penetration of Shopify today. Um, but I think, you know, what that really tells us is that 
um, it's not about competition so much as it is about uh, facilitating the creation of entrepreneurship in how do we enable more people to come online and to participate in the digital economy that's growing as quickly as it is with small businesses across all of these platforms and, and beyond. So that's really what we care about and pay attention to and, you know, getting more people uh, selling online, more people buying online, um, that itself has a long way to go in terms of total retail spend uh, in the world. And, you know, there's a, a long path for us uh, just in solving that problem without worrying about others. So, so we've talked about the unique culture a little bit. We've talked about value systems. But in the context of building diverse teams in Shopify, how does this work in practice and how do you do this successfully? For us as a company where we've been successful in our uh, diversity and belonging strategy has been uh, twofold. Uh, one has really been understanding that there are many dimensions of diversity. And so we have to look beyond just the visible dimensions like gender and age and, and, and background, but also look at invisible dimensions like values and beliefs and experiences and skill sets. So that's really helped us kind of understand and enable more types of people to join Shopify from those different um, uh, dimensions themselves. And we've done everything from create creating um, development degree programs, partnering with local universities to increase the amount of STEM talent coming from these backgrounds, up to creating something we call the Welcome Back program, which has been taking people that have been uh, out of the industry for some time, given uh, any number of personal reasons, helping them reintegrate into uh, technology and the work environment. And so it's you know been through intentional programs like this that we've really been able to improve our long-term trajectory alongside understanding that we have many dimensions through which we have to make diversity stronger inside of the company. And then the, the other side of this is, you know, it's, it's only uh, kind of one part of the problem to improve the total talent that you have inside the company itself, uh, it's more critical that you actually have an environment that knows how to use it. And so that's where belonging and inclusion become uh, so in incredibly important that it's not just about day one getting them there, but creating the kind of open environment, the flexibility of tools and process, uh, even different physical spaces that let people be their best selves in the work environment. And I think for, you know, any company, whether, uh, you know, just a few people up to the size and beyond a Shopify, uh, what, I, what I would really uh, suggest is, you know, adopting a mentality that looks beyond those, those visible dimensions, because I think it'll increase the strength with which people tackle this problem. Um, and being very intentional about how you hire, what way, the way you position these roles, uh, and creating a, a pipeline strategy that goes beyond just expecting people from different backgrounds to apply, but getting out there and positioning roles, as I described those, uh, those examples on our end that are designed especially for the types of people you want to attract. Do you think you've got the hiring process nailed right now at Shopify, or is it constantly evolving in the context of this goal that you have? It's better than it was uh, just a, a few years ago, but I think we, we still have uh, a lot of work to keep doing. I don't think it's, it's possible to say anyone has nailed this um, because there, there's so much 
kind of room for improvement and, and potential here. And just through the, the fact that most hiring has traditionally been, you know, posting jobs online and waiting for people to apply, you know, in, in our industry like that, that, um, you know, doesn't scale with the needs of building a diverse team. So, you know, I think that's why you're seeing us, um, you know, tackle the problem from so many other uh, angles and not just, yes, we're improving job descriptions and removing bias from interview processes and creating more standardized frameworks for that and training our interviewers internally and, and so on and so forth. But we also have to go around the problem and improve you know, the, the STEM pipeline coming into the market, improve uh, our access to global talent that's coming from other parts of the world. Um, so it's, uh, there's no one size fits all solution here. It's understanding, you know, what does great look like at the end of this? It looks like a company that is made up of people from many different experiences, and they're all equally empowered to make decisions that affect our customers. So that's what we're really trying to strive and towards, and it, it very well is going to be a part of our challenge of building a hundred-year company. Yeah, and this idea dovetails neatly into what I want to ask you about next, which is the current state of technology talent in Canada, specifically Toronto, actually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the courting of U.S. tech companies like Google and Amazon and others. Um, come to mind. And it seems on the surface that the Canadian government is really taken by this idea of bringing these big names uh, into the country. In your opinion, is this a good thing for Canadian leaders to be devoting so much time to attracting U.S. tech here, given the the potential competitive conflict that could arise? Mm -hmm. I think anything that increases total tech technology employment in Canada is really good for the country long term. And so whether that comes from uh, global companies establishing larger presences here or investing and scaling, uh, you know, local companies, uh, I think we have to have a just kind of portfolio of these uh, investments as as a a country. And uh, they're all leading towards increased employment in, in this sector. And I think that uh, ultimately is a very, very good thing. Now, does it create some short-term challenges if there's uh, a lot of the Facebooks and Googles uh, hiring uh, a lot of the emerging talent in the market? Uh, yes, but also, you know, the, that talent is not going to sit inside those organizations forever. And what we're going to have in our ecosystem is a healthier pipeline of people with uh, real valuable experience having worked at a global scale on uh, important problems. The flip side of this, though, is that this talent doesn't remain in Canada long term and gets sucked back into the U.S., which is why some say, um, this isn't coming from me, but for, for those that I've asked this question to, some say that, you know, given the tax revenues are going back into the U.S., um, they can pay bigger salaries they might attract talent who is initially working in Canada, but then ultimately these Canadians end up leaving for the U.S. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that? I'd say we have to be a little more self-confident about what we have going on for us as a, as a, a country, culture, and people. That brain drain was much more evident in a time where to work for these companies, you had to physically relocate yourself and your family. And by 
default of where we started with this question, like that part has changed. You can work from them right here at home, but, but also that people want to live and be here in Canada. People value their, their community and this culture and uh, what it means to, to be Canadian. And I don't think that, you know, these are going to be critical reasons that people abandon all of that to, to move to HQ for one of these companies, uh, especially not in a time where companies like Shopify and many others here are, are building uh, HQs at home. So um, I, I don't see that to be uh, a significant long-term problem. Does Shopify position itself as a Canadian company at this point or an international company? Like where do the Canadian values based on the comments you've just made fit mm-hmm. in to the company's brand positioning? Mm-hmm. You know, Shopify is a global company that is headquartered in Canada. And I think that both of those things are uh, equally important, but the reality is we have employees all around the world and we have customers in hundreds of countries uh, around the world. And uh, from day one, it was important for Shopify to not be a, exclusively a, a Canadian company with Canadian customers. And that's what's allowed us to grow and, and, and scale at the, at the pace and size that we have. But being founded and headquartered and still majority of, of employees here in Canada influences the culture that we have in the organization, the decisions that we make, uh, and the way we we invest. And I think that uh, has been shown over, you know, 15 years of Shopify's history to be uh, a strength in the way that uh, we've had the retention that we have had of teams, the way we've been able to think global by default, uh, from having people from all around the world uh, as a part of this organization from the very beginning, and the way we present our values and culture are influenced by uh, being a bunch of Canadians. When somebody asks you, how many other Shopify's do we have in Canada in the context of you know, big tech unicorns, can you think of any other names that come to mind? And if not, um, who do you think are the next ones? Certainly companies like um, FreshBooks, Wattpad, Hootsuite, Wave uh, have all been uh, uh, amazing parts of this Canadian ecosystem over the last uh, decade and are strong employers and have the same kind of global mentality um, and are certainly, as you know, we saw through um, kind of Wave's recent exit, are having a, a massive impact um, on, on the market. And then we've got uh, great emerging growth companies like uh, you know One Password and Wealthsimple and Lightspeed and and others that are having uh, uh, an incredible forward-looking uh, growth trajectory and an opportunity to have an impact uh, here as well. And so you know I I don't see a shortage of that potential. You know we've we've got to get a few more companies across that 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 line of a billion dollars uh, or the the unicorn status, but you know. Um, I think that that's inevitable at this point. Yeah, all those stories are are amazing growth stories. So th- thanks for highlighting those. I think a lot of those companies we we tend to forget because so much has been done at Shopify, mm-hmm. and you know, really in the context of Canadian unicorns, especially in tech, Shopify is just an incredible international story. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, great perspective. Let me switch gears a little bit to your uh, product design philosophies. Mm -hmm. And you've spoken about this one before, the idea of building products that don't suck, right? Sounds pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do companies do this? Yeah, you know, that, uh, that, that, that was a fun one to, to, to share uh, back with, with uh, Tech Toronto. You know, I think one of the, the most uh, common mistakes uh, that, that uh, you know, sounds obvious, but is, is very uh, oddly difficult to operationalize is, is people uh, listening to and building with their customers. You know, we, uh, whether you're building in B2B or, or B2C, uh, getting that frequency of feedback and, and fresh eyes from the people that uh, you want to use your product is the single most valuable piece of information that you can have. And we kind of often see companies, even those that I, I, I invest in personally, that spend so much time kind of trying to perfect an interface or a feature, you know, from uh, kind of their perspective without getting close enough to asking the people that are meant to use it what, what they think and what they would want. And so this is just one of those, you know, basic hygienes of building technology that you know, like flossing, people forget to do and catches up with them over time and uh, is one that I put a, a lot of value on. <laughs> uh, you mentioned you're investing in businesses. Are these direct investments or are these joint investments with family offices? Um, yeah, most of uh, our uh, my personal investing has been through our, our own family fund that uh, my, my wife and I uh, managed together. Um, and we've made um, kind of uh, probably over uh, ten or fifteen investments now in the in the recent years, uh, with a, a special recent it, through that whole time a focus on Canadian founders, whether they uh, be still working uh, here in our in our backyard or have moved around the world, uh, having a connection route to to Canada, and in the recent year, a uh, strong focus on investing in diverse founders and and uh and women-led companies uh that we we've uh been been strongly focused on always at the early stage and, and always with those those pieces in mind are you sector specific no we're very agnostic to sector and and, and technology you know really um we see this as an opportunity uh to support other amazing founders especially uh, those that might be more underrepresented in in, in the venture capital space, uh, as well as to contribute directly uh, in one way back to the the community that has done so much to support our success and our opportunity over the last ten years. So you know what we've got investments in you know education, healthcare, insurance, you know, uh, and and ev everything in between, and it's really about those things. Do you think you've got another startup in you beyond Shopify? You know, I think if there was anything else that I would, would ever do outside of Shopify, it would be that. But, you know, every single day uh, for the last uh, seven years and, uh, and for the foreseeable future for me has been uh, about being a part of this amazing growth story and a part of this uh, amazing opportunity at creating entrepreneurship in the world. And it's the, the only thing I wake up every day thinking about. You've got a very active uh, social presence. I think you've got, you got a huge Twitter following. <laughs> Probably get lots of questions 
from people that are following you and and have different things they want to ask either about you, Satish, or about Shopify. Can you highlight one or two of the questions that you get asked most? Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely get uh, a lot of customer support questions from people using Shopify, <laughs> uh, which, which uh, you know, includes, uh, you know, some companies that have invested in and people just in and around the community and, and generally being uh, an easy person to access that works at the, the company. My DMs are open. So, so that comes up uh, 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 quite a bit. Uh, I also get uh, questions from people that are actually applying to and entering university uh, that uh, are looking at uh, the University of Toronto business program that I did back in in 2004 and asking themselves and me, how did I go from doing that non-technical degree program to working in my role at this company? And is that a path that they can replicate uh, as they're thinking about coming in to, to, to the, the university environment. And so that, that, those are some of my favorite ones because you've just got, you know, hungry and eager high schoolers reaching out, probably not expecting much of a response, but they're my, my favorite people to talk to and, and say, like, yes, you can, and here's some ways you can do that and trust the, the journey. So uh, that, those have been fun. Appreciate it, Satish. Thanks so much for your time. Is there anything you want to say to listeners or uh, do you want to direct them to a social channel to connect with you? Yeah, I really appreciate the the time and conversation uh, as well, Adam. And, uh, you know, as I, I said earlier, my, my DMs are open. If I can ever be be helpful uh, on Twitter or, or Instagram to, to folks, uh, uh, whether it's with Shopify or with uh, a company they're starting or, uh, or or any question about product or design, I'm, I'm super happy to. And, um, you know, know that our our kind of belief is there that Canada is the right place to build and grow global companies and uh, expect by the next time we have this conversation there'll be many more to, to talk about <laughs> well let's do that we'll yeah. have a round two um, appreciate it Satish thanks so much take care Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electric acid.